0: We turn now to 1 Peter chapter 5 at the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 5. Hear these words of Ezekiel 34 ringing in your ears as as we look at this text. right. so it's a slightly shorter message uh, today and it is primarily, I need to make sure I can see them. It is primarily a charge to the two men being ordained as elders. However, please don't switch off. The Apostle Peter in this text, in 1 Peter 5, has been speaking of two great themes which are applicable to the whole church. And that is, specifically, the need to live with humility before God and each other. The need to live with humility. And secondly, the need to resist evil. And that's what's taking place here in, in 1 Peter 5 as a charge to, to elders. Elders, and, and we, we use the term uh, pastors just simply for vocational sort of paid elders. Uh, they have the same authority. Elders are uh, to, to shepherd the flock among them under the chief shepherd with humility and against evil. That's all we're going to look at today because if we get this right, so much good happens. Let's read from verse 1 of 1 Peter 5. The Apostle Peter says So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. To the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the living God. There's a need for humility and there's a need to resist evil. And it is essential that church leaders understand this. I want you to notice something of Peter's humility. The Roman Catholics believe that the Apostle Peter was the first pope and they're wrong and we're not going to go into that. Um, But Peter calls himself a fellow elder and his encouragement, he's exhorting, he's seeking to encourage uh, the elders. He's seeking to encourage a group of the the, the dispersions, the Jewish believers that have been scattered throughout uh, the empire. And Peter says that he's a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Peter is an apostle. He's been appointed by Jesus Christ himself. He said he's a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He, He beheld Christ. He saw the crucifixion. And he saw and beheld the resurrected Christ. And therefore he was eligible to be an apostle. Capital A Apostle. You had to have seen the resurrected Christ. That was part of your criteria. And so Peter is an apostle who's been established and commissioned by Jesus Christ to establish the church, to handle the apostolic doctrine. Of who Jesus Christ is. The understanding of the Old Testament scriptures that point to this Messiah, Jesus Christ. Peter is absolutely in some ways distinct from fellow elders in local churches that are planted. He's an apostle. He carries an authority that they do not. It was an authority for a time. But Peter is passing on this apostolic ministry, not by laying on hands and declaring new apostles. But he's passing on the apostolic ministry by handing over the apostolic doctrine to be passed on. The word of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, a a true and right understanding of the scriptures. And Peter is so humble in his language because he's saying, I get to be an elder with you. As he speaks to elders, he's saying, I get to be an elder with you. I'm in the work with you. This man is probably one of the most famous people on the face of the planet, and he says, hey, my fellow elders. He's humble. He's not raising himself up. And so he trusts that because he belongs to Christ, he trusts that because he has suffered with Christ, he will one day rule with Christ upon his return. That he will be with Christ in the fullness of glory. And that's what's, what's coming out of this text. And so Peter is able to say to, the fellow, to his fellow elders, he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Easy to brush over that term. Elders with the flock among you. Not above you not beneath you, among you. Elders are sheep too. And that's what we we, we see in Ezekiel 34. The poor shepherds of Israel, he said, you're you're using your horns to drive the sheep, you're pushing. Your fellow sheep, you're, you're, you're treating them poorly. And the church shepherds are also sheep. And it is the flock of God. It's so important. Nowadays, every pastor seems to cook up some sort of vision for themselves for a church and then declare themselves a pastor, and it's their flock. But we can't forget here, it says it's the flock of God. In some senses, we can say my church. In some senses, we can say... As elders, we can say our church, but when we use that language because it's kind of the only convenient language of using, we still got to remember it's not ours. Ministry is so hard. Compare the photo of me from six years ago when I accepted this role. I looked a lot younger <laughs> and had a lot more hair. Um, but there's, there's, there's blood, it seems like there's blood, there's sweat, there's tears, but goodness gracious me, no pastor ever dies for his church. It's the it's, it's, it's flock of God. It's God's flock. I want to expand myself in ministry, but the role of Savior is already taken. One has died as a ransom for man, and it is certainly not any of us here. His name is Jesus Christ. Edmund Clowney is so good. He says, we must serve the flock in the light of the cross. The flock's value to the Lord is the price of his blood. The church is blood-bought. It's blood-bought. The blood of Christ. Good pastors, good elders, good shepherds, they're tangible gifts. They can be at their best. Tangible gifts of Christ's presence among us. Ministering the Word, ministering prayer, speaking words of grace. But, pastors and elders are never to see themselves as CEOs. It doesn't work. The business model just doesn't work. The heart of an elder is to be the heart of a shepherd. Peter uses the language here of exercising oversight. Elsewhere, uh, elsewhere the scriptures speak of the gifts of, of preaching and teaching, and the, specifically some elders will labor in that the labor in in preaching and in teaching of the Word. But here is another function of eldership, which is exercising oversight, governance, protection, positive and negative. And the way Peter brings this out is by using three pairs of negatives followed by positive uh, exhortations. He tells them how to shepherd. And in doing this, he's showing what kind of evil must be resisted. What kind of evil must be resisted? Firstly, it says, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would would have you. Why would an elder serve unwillingly? Some would view that as, as strange. I will say this, for many, it's because sometimes the weight of service is great. The weight of responsibility is great. The joys, the griefs, the pains, the complaints, the, the wearing nature of the responsibility is at times too much. And it feels too much. And I think when we, when we hear the word not under compulsion, for a good elder, we, we should understand that as sometimes compassion fatigue. It's a term a brother said to me, compassion fatigue. Well, it's just, it just it's too much. There's a responsibility on the elderships to make sure that the elders are healthy and not serving, not under compulsion, but willingly. But there's also, I would say, responsibility on the, the church to make sure that their leaders are looked after. That they are able to serve willingly. Something I've said to, to the man coming on during their candidacy is, are you feeling the weight of responsibility yet? Are you feeling the weight of responsibility yet? Is it feeling heavy on your shoulders yet? And when they say yes, I say good. Because without this, you're just pretending. but they must be willing to take this upon themselves. And another one, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Shameful gain. Some elders and pastors serve for shameful gain. They, they, they look for money. They're, they're looking for the motive behind their service is money. So sad so upsetting. I've had a a conversation with Pastor Andrew before about the fact that some people seem to fail in business so they go into ministry because they want money. It's it's terrible. Shameful game. When that becomes the motive, the message inevitably gets pushed to the side. There are plenty of examples of this in the church today. When fame and esteem become the motive, goodness gracious me, it never ends well. Shameful gain. How, how, how different to the example of, of the chief shepherd, that Jesus Christ died. And every time I say that Paul or Peter were the most famous people on the face of the planet, sure, but they were martyred. It wasn't so all would think well of them. So Jesus says, woe to you when all thinks well of you. When we chase leadership to be thought well of or to become rich, we've completely annihilated God's design. Not for shameful gain, but instead eagerly. It is a role of service to eagerly give yourself to. And then, lastly, this is also important. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So hard, so important. Bullying, authoritarianism. My way or the highway, It just, it's not good. It is a form of evil that needs to be resisted. It's so wicked, so evil, and so worldly. Worldliness in ministry most likely looks like a pastor or an elder or a group of elders who are determined to get their own way and use worldly means to do so. Listen to Matthew 2 chapter 20 verse 25 Jesus called to them and said you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them it shall not be so among you whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over you. Gentiles, the pagans, the the politicians, the mayors. I'm going to stay out of politics at this point. But so many examples come into my mind right now. I'm just going to leave it. They lord it over you. Here's the thing. Insecure men become domineering elders. Domineering elders and pastors are weak in the wrong way. They're weak in that they're insecure. Insecure people make the worst church leaders, the absolute worst, because they demand glory now and they're constantly looking for people to notice them. Instead, as Peter says, to be willing to wait for the revealing of the glory of the Lord at the return of Christ. Freddie Mercury says, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. It's a terrible philosophy of ministry. But instead being examples to the flock, not domineering, but being examples to the flock this is incredibly personal to me right now not because of this church but because of things happening outside of it. i get phone calls often about this issue it concerns me greatly it concerns me greatly but being examples to the flock there is an undeniable powerful leadership that comes When we can say, I don't need to push and shove. But instead, elders are examples to their flock because they follow the example of the chief shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. There's a a powerful leadership in, in in the church where we can say, I'll never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. That's part of the culture that we want to have here at Christ Sanctuary. We don't, we don't want to delegate because it's beneath us. We want to delegate because for the good of all. And so that more ministry can be done and that more people can, be, more people can love, then more people can hear of Christ. And so that our leaders don't burn themselves out trying to hoard everything themselves. Elders have authority, and they are to exercise this authority as they live a good example. I want to hear these words from, from from Clowney because they're just so they're so crucial. They said, "The elder has authority; is called to exercise the shepherd's oversight, but Christ, the chief shepherd, has called him to exercise the shepherd's care. But the under shepherd." that's the elder or the pastor, is not a stand-in for the Lord. He presents the word of the Lord, not his own decree. He enforces the revealed will of the Lord, not his own wishes. For that reason, any undermining of the authority of scriptures turns church government into spiritual tyranny. If church leaders add to or subtract from the Word of God, they make themselves lords over the consciences of others. Meaning, the only time that we get to say, no, that cannot happen is when we can point to the Scriptures. Far from being a lord or a master, one commentator says the elder is to be an example. He is to lead others in humble obedience to God by himself being humbly obedient to God. Our one lord and master made himself an example when he wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the feet of his disciples. That's what it means to be a shepherd and that's the authority that an elder has. I've said said before, a few weeks ago, I was speaking to a uh, a gathering of of elders and and, and pastors, and I I referenced Ephesians 4, which speaks, it quotes, I think, Psalm 68, and it it, it references that Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, and then he gave gifts to his church, and then it starts listing prophets and and apostles and, 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 and elders and teachers, And I said, do you know that Ephesians 4 says to you elders that you're Christ's gift to the church? I know a lot of husbands feel that way. I'm God's gift to my wife, right? No? Um, That doesn't go well. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're a gift, and scripture does call leaders gifts to the church, who's a gift supposed to bless? Who's a gift supposed to bless? And that question opens our minds to this reality. Some people aspire to climb the ladder of of leadership in a church. elder, pastor, deacon. They're not medals that you wear around your neck to show that you've won. They're not. They're roles to seek and serve the good of others. If you you desire those things, it's a good thing. If you desire them for power and and to make up for some lack in your identity, then it's gonna go incredibly poorly because your motive and what the role is will not match. And we're told, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes you when you do that. And yet, for the church, I want to say this. There are times where where leaders feel like the only reason they've been got the title of elders so they're up on a pedestal and people can get a better aim at them. And that's not good too. That's not good either. When we read that God opposes the proud, it should be a warning to the church not to also place unrealistic expectations upon their leaders. Good leaders should be rewarded. Bad leaders should be called out, but it should be done in a spirit of constructive love for the sake of Christ's Church. I want to just close with with this, that Jesus Christ combined humility and bold resistance to evil. The role and I have to remind myself of this all the time, the role of Savior is taken. The role of Holy Spirit is taken. I don't have to be that. Praise God. The Lord of glory laid down His life for His sheep, and He called them to follow Him. In His incarnation and in His death, we can speak of... The humility of Christ, that though he was rich, he made himself poor, that for our sake, he would make us rich in God's blessing. Jesus defeated evil and all the effects of sin, not by pulling out a sword, but by laying, out his, by laying down his life. And that gives us grounds for humility. That gives us an example to follow. Jesus' humiliation and his subsequent exaltation, his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of majesty on high means that for the believer, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior by faith, we are seated in the heavenly places with him and at his return, our own exaltation shall come. It is only a matter of Time. Our exaltation is not based upon the fact that we are good and great in and of ourselves, but because He is good and great on our behalf. He is Lord and Savior, and His life covers us. Hebrews uh, chapter 2 is a great place to read about this. Second Corinthians chapter 8. We don't need to to push and fight as Gentiles and crush others to get our way. We just simply don't need to. Because Jesus shows that the way to please God and the way for actually to receive glory is to do so humbly because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He raises us up in the right time. And so poor elders have reason to fear at the return of Christ. The hireling, the one that serves for his own good, he serves for his own comfort, has much to fear at the appearing of the true shepherd. Because when the true shepherd appears, the one who cares most about the sheep, he will do justice. And so that is a warning for church leaders. That's a warning for our church. That's a warning for everyone who aspires to leadership that God will be just and God will require more of those who teach and lead in the church. Peter tells us that when things are hard, our sufferings are temporary, and because Jesus suffered and he rose to glory, glory awaits, and that allows the church, as we await for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to patiently endure to patiently and serve, to serve, to patiently spread the seeds of the Word, to sp- patiently pour water, and to patiently wait for harvest, and Jesus Christ is the one who will gather it up. promise of the gospel is eternal glory because of Jesus Christ. And this church, though it looks feeble, the church of Jesus Christ, though it looks feeble, will one day dwell in the New Jerusalem, as we read at the end of Revelation 21 and 22, and behold the glory of the Lord with wonder. That's our future.